So uh, next weekend we'll mark uh, kicking off our fall children's ministry, our kids being back over there. Uh, they're with us once again this morning. I'm going to invite you to go back to the tables. But before you do, this is 15-pound dumbbell. I want you to lift this up. I want you to feel the weight of this. All right? Come on up. Come on, come on, come on, come on. All the kids, come on up. Come on up. Just check it out. Lift it up. Don't drop it on anyone's toes. Oh, Diego. All right, pass it, pass it along. Let everyone feel it. All right, 15 pounds. What do you think, Ava? Oh, look at that. Yeah! All right, pass it along. Nice. Whoa, whoa. Whoa! All right. Feel it? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you've, uh, if you've handled it, go ahead and go back to the tables. <laughs> you got my... <laughs> 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 Woo! All right. Wow. Jeez. This is heavy. Kind of heavy, huh? Yeah. 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 All right. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> yeah, Mally. All right. No problem for Piper. All right. Okay, okay. All right. Just getting their blood flowing, you know. Um, so, last week we talked about David and Goliath, and I'm going to kind of rehash uh, what we discussed last week in a minute. Uh, first, I want to tell you a David and Goliath story that I experienced personally uh, this past week. So, I got off 101 onto DeLong, and I was heading west on DeLong, and there's two, uh, four lanes of traffic, two lanes going west, and I'm in the right-hand lane, and as I'm driving along, and it's like rush hour, so there's traffic in front of me, behind me, on the side of me, and as I'm driving along, I look in the rearview mirror, and I see this amazing-looking vehicle. Like, it looks to me to be a truck from the early 50s. No, don't put it up yet. Don't put it up yet. Uh, looks to be a, a truck from the early 50s, and... Uh, it, it just looks amazing. I'm like, this thing is so cool. All rusted out, massive. And, and then uh, it passes me. And as it passes me, the driver flips me off. <laughs> and like, it was like this wave of, uh, of the finger. And I was like, and there's traffic everywhere. So I'm like, was, it, was that me? Like, did, what did, I didn't do anything. Was that me? Here I am admiring this amazing vehicle. And I'm like, was that me? And, and then uh, traffic, traffic shifts again, and I pull up alongside it. And I drive a Prius. And on the side of this massive vehicle, spray painted on it, now you can show it. It says Prius killer. <laughs> And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, I, I guess everyone has to have a purpose in life, but really? Prius killer? And so like, 
I just decided he flipped my car off, not me. Uh, but then I was like, you know, David and Goliath, what, I wonder how David would respond to this. So I got some new wheels. <laughs> I'll show you a Prius killer. <laughs> oh, all right. So, 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath story. So, uh, from time to time when we do a series, uh, I, I get in this rhythm of doing the series that I forget sometimes that people go on vacation or they can't be here on a Sunday and uh, so they don't get everything. And so I'm told from time to time from some folks, you, you should uh, give us a little review of where we've been so that we can catch back up and connect. And I, I decided, you know what, that's really important for this Sunday for those of you who weren't here last Sunday. Because uh, last Sunday, I think I got more feedback from people about last Sunday's teaching than I maybe have gotten from any teaching I've done because so many people we're kind of shocked by uh, the reading of the David and Goliath story uh, that we explored and the way it was explored. So I wanna just really rapid fire go through some things we talked about last week because David and Goliath is this historic underdog story of this shepherd boy defeats this giant Goliath and we looked at it last week of, oh, maybe it wasn't such an underdog story, but maybe it was the power of the Spirit given David a different type of imagination of how to go up against this Goliath that other people in the Israelite army weren't thinking about. Okay, so really rapid fire. Ancient armies uh, had three types of warriors. The cavalry, which were horsemen and or chariots. Heavy infantry, which were foot soldiers with armor, swords, shields, spears. Light infantry, which were projectile warriors who were archers or slingers. Now, uh, a lot of people said, I had no idea that there were slingers in armies. This is fascinating. And the book of Judges tells us about this. In Judges chapter 20, it says, among all these soldiers, there were 700 select troops who were left-handed, each of whom could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Now, this is what ancient slings look like. So it's not this, which seems fairly easy to target people with. It was that, which they would have to spin it and then release one string and let the stone fly. And these slingers were so accurate. Uh, if I can have the next slide, here's the balance of these warrior types. Heavy infantry could defeat cavalry with long spike spears and their army armor, but cavalry could defeat projectile warriors because the horses moved too quickly for artillery to take proper aim. However, projectile warriors, like archery or slingers, were deadly against heavy infantry because heavy infantry were bigger, slower, weighed down by armor. They were sitting ducks for slingers launching stones from 100 yards away. And so historians have done all kinds of studies on this, like this one. Paul Halpern says, this is why the Athenian expedition to Sicily failed. Athens' heavy infantry was decimated in the mountains by local light infantry, principally using the sling. And so we talked about who's the underdog now. Uh, David 
had a spirit-inspired imagination of how to go up against this giant, that the rest of Israel was just living in such fear that they didn't see it. Because all they saw was this traditional thing called single combat, the, this uh, competition between two warriors. And it was always understood that you must go into this with hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so no one thought there was a different way of engaging this giant, David had a different imagination. So a couple other things from Malcolm Gladwell, ballistics expert Ethan Hirsch did a series of calculations showing that a typical size stone hurled by an expert slinger at a distance of 35 meters would have hit Goliath's head with a velocity of 34 meters per second equivalent to a modern handgun. A time so brief Goliath would not have been able to protect himself. He was carrying over 100 pounds of armor. And then this quote. Goliath had as much chance against David as any Bronze Age warrior with a sword would have had against an opponent armed with a 45 automatic pistol. So, totally changes our perspective of the story, doesn't it? Uh, and so David goes on to the battlefield and he says to Goliath this, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. David did not go onto the battlefield with a Goliath imagination. He did not go onto the battlefield with a Saul imagination. He went onto the battlefield with a Yahweh-inspired imagination, a different way of engaging the enemy than anyone else was even considering at all. So, we talked a lot last week about the nature of fear and how fear kills our imaginations, how fear keeps us from seeing what God wants us to see. And so, as Frederick Speakner says, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. We're invited to live free from fear and fully into who God created us to be with a spirit-inspired imagination. And so, uh, Lots of you asked me lots of questions, uh, gave me a lot of feedback. One of my favorite was this text I got last Sunday afternoon. Matt, very fun sermon with a new to me insight on a story I've heard for 60 years. One question was David a lefty. Uh, I'm talking handedness, not politics. <laughs> oh, that one did make me laugh out loud. So uh, this person's asking me, was David a lefty? Because of that text in Judges that said there were 700 slingers who were all left-handed. And then he says this, and if so, maybe Goliath was misled into looking at his right hand. So I want to talk today a little bit about Goliath uh, and then his armor and then Saul and his armor and then David and his lack of armor. Um, so Goliath In 1 Samuel 17, we're told, verse 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubics and a span. Now that translates nine foot six. There's uh, discrepancies in the ancient texts. Uh, Goliath was either six foot nine 
or he was nine foot six. Regardless, even if he was six foot nine, he's still a giant in those days because males in those days averaged uh, about five and a half feet max. And so uh, he was a giant. And um, last week I talked, I uh, showed you this picture of Robert Wadlow. Now, Robert Wadlow was afflicted by a disease called acromegaly, which is also known as gigantism. Uh, he had an overproduction of human growth hormones and it wouldn't shut off. So he died at age 22 at eight foot 11. He was still growing when he died. Eight foot 11 inches tall. Uh, now there's a couple of side effects from gigantism. Uh, one is obviously your mobility is limited. Uh, he walked with a cane. Another is a visual impairment. People who suffer from this disease suffer from visual impairment. Uh, typically one of two things, either extreme nearsightedness or double vision. And so there have been modern medical scholars who have theorized, we don't know for sure, but have theorized, what if Goliath had this disease? Which once again shows us that giants aren't always what we make them out to be. Giants aren't always what they appear to be. What might appear to be their greatest strength is also their greatest weakness. If Goliath was visually impaired, it was a great weakness to him on the battlefield. Now, there are some things that people point to in the text that indicate that perhaps Goliath did indeed suffer from visual impairment. We're told that Goliath had a shield bearer. Now, shield bearers were for light infantry. They would protect those who were shooting arrows or slingers because they needed to use their entire body with what they were doing. They couldn't hold a shield while they were shooting an arrow or slinging. And so shield bearers would protect light infantrymen but not heavy infantrymen. Heavy infantrymen would go onto the battlefield holding their shield and their sword. Why does Goliath have a shield bearer? Well, the theory is he needed a guide because he couldn't see well enough to get down the steep hill. He needed a guide to get him down there and a guide to get him back up. Now, here's the other one that people point to. This is brilliant. Goliath said this, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? We know from the text that, Goliath, uh, that David only had one stick, his shepherd's staff. Why does Goliath say sticks, plural? Could it be that Goliath had double vision? We don't, again, we don't know, but possibly. Which brings back to the text I got was David a lefty. If the vision that he did had was focused on the stick, and not the other hand. He didn't see the sling, and he never saw what hit him. Giants are not always what they appear. There is a different way of seeing the giants in our life. There is a different way of defeating the giants in our life when we have a spirit-inspired imagination that comes from God. Now Goliath, he had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor 
of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. 600 shekels. That's 15 pounds. Just his spearhead. This is how much his spearhead weighed. Can you imagine trying to throw this at somebody? That's how much his spearhead weighed. 15 pounds. He had the best state-of-the-art armor for his day. He's fully equipped with armor and with weapons. And he was so fearsome looking that the entire Israelite camp was shuddering in fear. They were absolutely paralyzed with fear. They were terrified. Now, when someone poses this type of challenge for single combat, uh, the person who should go out against this person is a great warrior. Now, Israel had a quasi-giant of their own. Anyone know who Israel's quasi-giant was? It was Saul. It was Saul. Uh, notice this text. When uh, they were trying to crown Saul as king, when they looked for him, he was not to be found. He has hidden himself among the baggage. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Saul was this massive man. Should have been Saul who went out to face Goliath, but Saul, like every other Israelite, was afraid. But when David comes to Saul and says, hey, I'll go fight him, Saul doesn't say, no, 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 uh, I'll do it, I should do it. In instead, Saul, out of great humility, does what? <laughs> Offers David his armor. So, next slide. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. So Saul says, here, here's some armor, David. Why don't you put this on because maybe you have a sliver of a chance if you actually wear this armor. Uh, otherwise, you're a goner for sure. And so David, next slide. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Uh, there's something amazingly powerful going on in David's response here that I don't want us to miss. And it's this. David knows who he is. He refuses to try to be like Saul. He knows who he is. He says, I can't go in these because I'm not used to them. And what he ends up going onto the battlefield with are the tools and instruments of a shepherd with a sling. He knows who he is. He knows what he's capable of. And he knows how he's going to enter this battle. And it's not going to be like Saul, it's going to be like David. 
says, I, I can't go in these, I'm not used to them. I wonder what would happen if every time we try to put something on that's not ours, we said, I can't do this, I'm not used to it. I wonder if every time we put up our walls and our defenses and, and, and tried to hide behind them, I wonder what would happen if we said, this is not who I am. I can't wear this, I can't do this, I can't say this because I'm not used to them. It's not who I am. I, I wonder what would happen if every time uh, we got defensive or every time we got angry or every time we, we felt bitterness or resentment that there was something within us that said I'm not used to this I can't do this I can't wear this it's not who I am this is not who God created me to be David goes out onto the battlefield not wearing any armor at all. At least not armor that's visible. Uh, th there is an armor, an invisible armor, that God has invited us, has encouraged us to put on. And it's not Goliath's, and it's not Saul's. Notice Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There's an invisible armor that we are invited to put on that is far better than any armor the world has to offer. What armor are you wearing this morning? What's your armor? Is it an armor that you've devised of your own making that you feel like you have to wear in order to survive in the world? Is it an armor that you're trying to wear that actually belongs to someone else? It's who they are, but it's not who God created you to be. What are you wearing? What, what is your armor? Uh, because Constantly in the New Testament, we're told to put off the old, that which is not the true us, put off the false self, put off the ego self, and put on the new self. Ephesians 4, put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
And then in Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Uh, what if that is the way we regularly clothed ourselves each day? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Which, of course, brings me back to the Prius killer. <laughs> because if the response to the Prius killer is, oh, I, I can one-up that with new tires, <clears throat> There's no compassion, humility, and patience in that response, is there? Uh, after this happened to me, after the Prius killer passed me, I just kept running, in, in my mind, I kept thinking, what, like, what happened to this guy? that he felt like this is his mission in life. Like, did, did he lose a job at Toyota? <laughs> uh, Jenna said, you know, maybe he had a girlfriend who drove a Prius that broke his heart. Uh, like, what happened to this guy? And, and what would it be like for him to, to meet a Prius driver who said, you know what, I, I don't know what this is about, but you made me laugh, and I hope you know you're loved. And show compassion and kindness and grace and humility. What, what does it look like to clothe ourselves uh, with this way of being? Um, Jesus, when he was being arrested, uh, the, the thought for his disciples was, let's go to battle. Let's strike with our swords. So they said, uh, one of Jesus' companions reached for a sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said, for all who draw the sword will die. By the sword. Uh, the instinctual response is to fight. Uh, uh, a violent response, a reaction. Instead, Jesus says, all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And then Jesus says, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Uh, what, what if our instinctual response to a violent act done against us, or an angry word said against us, or, or uh, an offensive thing done to us? What, what if our immediate response was to be the healing presence of Jesus, rather than to respond in kind? Uh, because when I talked about the preschoolers, how would David react? It, it, it's not how David, how would David react? It's how would Jesus react? Because Jesus shows us a different way of being in the world. That when violence was done against him, he took the full 
brunt of the violence for the sake of the world. And we're invited not, not to live our lives in the way of David, but in the way of Jesus. And even though David has many admirable qualities that we'd want to aspire to, uh, he was also a very broken man, wasn't he? Uh, but Jesus, a man without sin, who took on the full force, the full brunt of sin on our behalf. Uh, as we've been exploring these David stories, we've talked about how da David's kind of like this signpost. This, uh, he's the anointed one. Uh, he's the king, and he's the signpost pointing forward to the true anointed one, the true Messiah who would come and show us the true way to live and be in the world. And, and uh, many people have pointed to this David Goliath story as uh, David cutting off the head of evil as a, as a picture of what Israel had been longing for since the garden when we were told this. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is God talking to the serpent, the ancient serpent. And God saying there, there is a serpent crusher who will come. He will crush the head of evil and destroy it. And what we see is, is David with violence cut the head off of Goliath. But Jesus does the opposite. He allows the full force of violence to come against him. And in so doing, crushes the head of the serpent. He confounded the powers. He flipped the table on them and did something no one expected. David did something no one expected. He came out with a sling, not a sword. Jesus did something no one expected. He died on a cross to take away the sin of the world. He died on a cross to defeat evil, to defeat death, to defeat the powers. So last week I shared this with you that I wrote, Jesus is the one who saves, but not in the way anyone anticipated. The powers could never have anticipated that Jesus would defeat the Goliath of sin, death, brokenness, and heartache through death. Jesus turned the tables on the powers, on sin and evil by dying. And through the power of his resurrection, a whole new creation is breaking in right in the midst of this one. And so when we come and we partake of this bread and this cup, we, we celebrate and we remember that Jesus' body was broken and his blood poured out for the sake of the world. In the face of violence, in the face of insult, in the face of the enemy, he broke himself open and poured himself out. So I just, I just wonder what it looks like for us as Jesus followers to follow in the way of Jesus, to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out for the sake of the world, to, to be a people who are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, to be a people who are clothed with compassion, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. To, to do this requires dying. Jesus came and taught us how to die. It requires breaking ourselves open and pouring ourselves out. And then we come together as the community of the redeemed to be filled back up with the risen Christ. We come and we take this bread and we dip it in this cup and we receive Christ in our midst. The broken, the poured out, we're invited to be filled back up with the presence of the risen Christ. God, thank you. Thank you for these stories that ultimately point to you, who you are and what you have accomplished on our behalf. God, I pray more and more you would make us a people who are indeed broken and poured out and who are clothed with humility and kindness and gentleness and compassion and with your love. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. let us hear that voice in our hearts and in our minds and may we leave this place ready to hear that you are enough and you've given us enough that our imaginations need some renewing in this particular season when it is just so easy to pay attention to the trouble it is just so easy to pay attention to what is lacking, what is missing, and what is broken. May we instead have an imaginative re-looking re at our lives to see what it is that we have been given. How have we been equipped right now for the tasks before us? Amen? Amen. Have a wonderful week.